Simon Tells Tales presents Tillbashing, Episode 4, read by Simon Tells Tales. Store manager devs used to spend all their time making sure the shop floor were running smoothly. She didn't like people looking like they weren't busy. If there wasn't customers hanging around, she'd have you off the tills and putting out stock. I liked that. But now that Josephine's gone, Debs has to spend her time in the cash room trying to make everything add up and she's put Paul in charge of looking after the shop floor. Paul doesn't care about what's right. He just wants to keep me away from Laura. Paul forces me to stay on the tills till after his shift has ended at three. He starts and finishes two earlys on a Saturday, see, so he can put out the morning papers. By three... The store has gotten so quiet there isn't no point having anyone on the back till and I can come off to put out stock. You think two hours without having to deal with Paul is a good thing, but as soon as he's out of the door, Rita comes sneaking out from behind the stacks of World War II books, neck first like summit from a documentary. Tall and wiry she is, like a pipe cleaner in trousers and glasses that's been bent and stretched till it looks like a real person. Isn't a single person in the store what likes her, and she's never had a good word to say about no one. She isn't a supervisor, and isn't ever going to be one, neither. She's the wrong end of 59, and always figure that because she were older than Josephine, she were more important. Now that Josephine's gone and Paul and his keys have cleared off, she comes out, nose first, snuffing for someone to boss around. Laura is putting out stock by the pens where Paul has left her. Don't go walking off from the till, is the first thing she says to her. I overheard it while sorting out the earthquake mess that is kids' books. A grin. Rita has a special hate for anyone young and fit. I slide around the side of the shelves and watch it force Laura to get back on tills. Laura doesn't move. She just stands, fingers curled like fishing hooks, and says that Paul has said it's okay. Paul in a supervisor, Rita says. Laura raises her chin. And while all this is going on, I take me chance, walk past both of them and take a straight line for the stockroom lifts and say, I'm going upstairs to grab some stock. And then it really doesn't matter what Laura has to say or what Paul has said to her, because I'm upstairs. Through the metal grate of the lift door, you can see the cold bricks in between the store's floors, grey with dust. You have to keep your finger on the up button the whole time the lift is rising, otherwise it'll stop. Stockroom takes up most of the first floor, closed in at the sides by bricks that'll rip the skin off the back of your hands if you drag a trolley past too close. Trust me. I've got two white circles on the back of my hand where the skin is still growing back. It's always dark in here. There aren't any windows, see, and to keep store costs down, we're only meant to put the lights on for the section we're in. In front of the lifts is the only bit where we're allowed to keep a light on all the time. You don't want to be dragging a roll cage or a black bath out in the pitch black. 
That lip bin is also where we leave the orange plastic boxes once stock gets delivered in from Ed office. Any stock bot wants to go out gets dumped into big black plastic baths on wheels, which are great for holding little things like novelty rubbers, or else to get stuck in tall roll cages, and they're good for things that are big and bulky like books or ring binders still in their cardboard box. Sometimes, when all we're doing is putting out stock that's come straight from Ed office, we take them faded orange boxes with yellow beat-up tops, stack them on low dollies and make a tower two boxes wide and eight boxes high. You have to take them down to the stock floor real careful so they don't collapse. When I get there, isn't no one in the stock room. Dust doesn't even fall to shine in the light, there's just the still towers of plastic boxes on top of dollies, a black bin of pencil cases and pens, and a cage filled with flattened cardboard. I don't touch none of that. I go out of sight, past the stationary shelves and then left to where the magazines are. Four strip lights light up once, twice, three times, four times, faster and stronger and buzzing till the lights stay on. It's my favourite part of the store. We have just about every magazine you can think of. Everything from nuts to waterways world to military modeler. We have Vogue and Cosmo, Arthur's Bazaar, So Hip, White Dwarf and Country Living. If you read it, we have it. Any magazines we can't fit on the shelves we keep in the stockroom. Them shelves is the best place to go to stand and read about out-of-pose models and not have anyone bother you. I keep a notepad and pen in my back pocket, always. And I work my way down all the girly magazines we have, even Moped World, because they always have a bird on the front cover. And I write down the contact details of all the photo editors in case they've changed. It's just something I do every couple of weeks so as I can send my portfolio to the right places. Usually I can get on with this and no one bothers me. Not today. The sound of metal grinding against brick bounces off of the grey shells. A lift comes from the shop floor. I stop what I'm doing, slip over to stationery and grab a couple of baskets of sellotape refills. Light from inside the lift bounces off the top of novelty rubbers. The lift's grate gets dragged back. Laura steps out. Anyone up here? she says. I answer. She walks towards the stationery shelves and I come out carrying sellotape baskets. She eyes me up bottom to top. Smiles, leans back against the metal shells, takes her phone out and starts to text. I dump the basket on a shelf of pencil cases and rest me back against a wall of ring binders. She finishes what she's doing and puts the phone back in her pocket. You're going to do something with those, she says. Wasn't why I came up here. She raises her eyebrows. I was getting the address of photo editors, I say. She folds her arms, settles back into the metal shelving and watches. I'm a photographer. No, at least trying to be. Just need someone to publish me pictures first. Oh? Yeah. Let me see. Me photos? Her eyebrows go up again. 
Uh, they're not very good, I say. She pushes herself off of this shelf with her fingertips and walks towards me, one foot in front of the other. Her legs don't have a single bruise on them. Anyway, I, I don't have them with me. I don't carry them around. Sure you do, she says. Have you got a laptop at home? What? Have you got a laptop at home? No? Well, how are you sending them out? Off my phone? Then give it here. You don't want to see them, I say. Uh, anyway, I should. Are they better than Paul's videos? She asks. She's grabbed the side of one of the shelf stacks and leans off with only one leg on the ground. Her hair comes straight down at an angle. Her uniform pulls tight along her waist. Way better, I say. Oh yeah? Oh yeah. Like ten times better. Like a million times better. Show me, she says. I bite me a lip. She holds her hips. I pull out me phone, flip it to the bunch of photos I've taken, and dump it in her hands. There's no people, I say. Can't pay for models right now, so I'm doing stuff what looks like people instead. She shrugs and thumb flicks, flicks, flicks through the phone. I can do people, though, I say. People's not hard. The hard part's getting the lighting and the framing and the shapes right. If you can do that, you can take photos of people. And you can do that. I can do that. People's easy. If someone wanted some decent photos doing, I could do them great. She hands me phone back. Only you don't have volunteers. She steps forward, her hands on her thighs, and she looks right at me. I take a breath. I take a couple of breaths. I take a step, lift me arms and then shove them back by me waist. Now I was thinking, I say, maybe some people might want some proper photos doing. I could do them if they'd model for free. Ring, ring, she says, so close I can see the shadows that rest in the fork of her collarbones. And these photos of volunteers, let me guess. They're not wearing any clothes. Above our head, the air conditioning pipe shakes. They, they, they can wear their bras and things if, if they want, I guess. I try to wet me lips, her eyebrows flash. Me fingers tug at me collarbone, her right toes push against the floor. Me mouth opens, her smile grows, and ringing from the stockroom phone stops us dead. Laura, she says. Phone pressed to her ear. Yeah. No. Tell them it's not in stock. Well, there's none of them up here. James can't find any of them either. Yeah. He was talking to me. Couldn't get away. He does go on a bit, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell him. She puts down the phone. What did you come up for? I say. She shrugs. Rita says it's time for you to come down. She's not me boss, I say. Laura blows me a kiss. After closing, with no customers in it, you notice all the store sounds that disappear in the day. 
The buzzer light fittings not properly screwed in. The breeze that grabs the stockroom's metal doors and pulls them forward and back. Lobbies on the roof and in the shopping centre. The sound of an album of pop songs from the year 2000 on a never-ending loop. I change out of my uniform and walk down to the shop floor. Laura is in front. She turns, sees there's only me behind, grabs a Diet Coke from the drink's fridge, slips it in her bag and holds a finger to her lips. My mouth goes dry, but I don't say nothing. And we don't get searched when we leave and Laura skips towards the bus station. I don't go straight home that night. I don't go sit in the pub with me family either. On me bike, I pedal away from Laura and Paul and easy iron uniforms, past the buses what come out of the station one after another after another, past the big place what sells mattresses and beds and the turn-off to the job centre and the tall red old flour mill that's just a landmark now. I take the bike path going past the old telephone exchange so I don't have to follow the big dip that goes under the railway bridge and the whole time the wheels on my bike go tick-a-tick-a-tick. I keep going till I get to the red and black ruin of fish dock number two, where birds swoop in blankets to fold and unfold over the quiet streets and broken warehouse doors. Then I slip inside warehouse after warehouse, treading on long weeds that break through the floors. My feet crunch on broken glass in front of office windows. Inside, fallen plaster and paint stack up in corners. Phone in me hands, I look for the shapes of people in the ruins and take photos. Click, click. Two chairs fallen and tangled together are lower stretched on the floor. A broken door popped against a wall is Laura leaning back. A spiral staircase is air turned away and looking back over her shoulder. The warehouse is full of them, bodies without faces, and when I look for a face, all I see is her looking at me stupid photos, her listening while Paul tells her about me mum dragging me through fresh new place, her looking when Paul points out the dandruff in me hair. I dig me fingers in the soft gel and me scalp and shake while flakes of white hit me shoulders and fall to the floor and catch the orange light of the room. Me pictures are shit. I'll still be tillbashing after she'll have left to work for a paper. Laura will be gone and I'll be trying to make naked women out of the shapes of rubbish in the dark. Outside the warehouse, the wind picks up and hurls through every broken window and open doorway. The wind goes on, long and cold. And I go home. Mum isn't home when I get in. I know as soon as I walk through the door because the telly isn't on. I don't like not having the telly on it. It's weird. I like all of a sudden the flat isn't home, just a collection of stuff. Pictures from when I was little hanging in the old, me smiling with ugly hair and a stupid school uniform. Books for hanging up coats. Of course, hers is missing and the black marks on the wall from where I leave me bank. 
and go through into the living room where the curtains are open. It's dark outside, but a yellow glow comes in from the flats opposite. A flick on the living room lights and light up Mum's armchair, the sideboard where she keeps her fags and the old couch where the cushions are so flat it's like you're sat on wood. Then, in the kitchen what's too thin to have two people standing side by side, there's a note on the fridge from Mum. Gone to Derek's. Pizza in freezer. Kiss. She does that, see? When she's done something wrong, she leaves a little kiss to stop me getting mad. Derek is her boyfriend. She never brings him round, though, because I ate his guts. Don't know why I bother, but I yank open the freezer door anyway. One look at the pizza, and I know I'm not going to eat it. I can't stand frozen pizza. You ever had one? They're so full of water that if you cook them for eight minutes, they're soggy. And if you cook them for nine, they're burnt. I've told her I can't stand them, but does she listen? No. And she always does the shopping without me. In my head, all I can hear is Paul making fun of me because Mum did me pack up. But it's not me fault. She never even give me the chance to do it for myself. Whenever I wake up, me pack up's there. But I can make me own food. I can. I can. My fist smacks into the centre of the pizza, bounces off of frozen pineapple chunks and makes the styrofoam creak underneath. It doesn't do any damage. I hold the pizza in two hands, pulled down, try to make it snap, but it doesn't work. I chuck it against the wall in the end so it bounces, hits the edge of the sink and then falls back in. I have to put up with this every day. Later, hungry, sitting in me room, I use me phone to find Laura on Facebook. Isn't hard. Sometimes you get a bird and a profile photo as a group photo, so it's tough to see if it's really air, or else she uses a different name. Not Laura. I don't even need to send her a friend request, because of all profiles on display, I go right to pictures of her in a bikini in Zanti, wherever that is. Can see that Paul has already gone and sent her a friend request, and she's accepted, or else maybe she's gone looking for him first. Either way, she's fit. she make a right good model with them legs, even if her tits are small. But I don't send her a friend request right away. No. The thing with a girl like that is she wants a fit guy, someone who looks hard. She wants a Hugh Jackman or a Gerard Butler. She wants a guy who goes to the gym, a guy whose profile shows off that they go to the gym. She wants a guy with pictures of his car, a guy with a profile that shows they like to have a good time, a guy with holiday photos where they're snorkeling or skiing or wrestling a rhino, a guy who's got photos of them and their friends, whose profile has lots of friends, who's got a plan for what they're doing with their life, and... When you see it like that, isn't no way my profile's going to impress her. I have, including family, 63 friends on there, and the pictures is just selfies of me taken in me bedroom, no body shots. I don't even have a picture of me bike, and there's nothing about me being a professional photographer. Even Paul does better than that. All over his profile is stuff saying he's a proper rap star with pictures of him rapping on the street and rapping in pubs. 
On Facebook, he has 800 friends because he's sent a friend request to everyone he's ever met, except me, and his profile pic is him in a starter cap, topless in front of a mirror with the flash of his camera phone reflected. It's a pretty naff photo, but it has that tough guy thing a girl like Laura is into. Her timeline is probably filled with pictures of muscled, topless blokes. If I add her with a naff profile and she looks at it, then that'll be it. Her mind will be made up. I'll just be some mummy's boy with dandruff forever. I have to get serious. From under me bed, I drag me photo scrapbooks. In them books, I have more pictures of Keely Hazel and Lucy Pinder and Rian Sugden than just about anyone else in the world, I reckon. I have them for study, like, not because I'm a perv. If I was a perv... I'd have them up on the walls, but my bedroom walls is blank. It's a good collection of photos I have too, all taken of birds in different poses, wearing different things, and I've ripped them out of unsold magazines that we were supposed to send back to get pulled. That night though, because I'm not a perv, I look at me pictures of lads. Now, there aren't any naked pictures or stuff out of the gay times. What I have are clothed pictures taken out in GQ or Esquire or FHM or Rolling Stone, stuff like that. I keep them in case I want to look at what they're wearing and alright, maybe there's one or two pictures of topless guys but that's because I have whole fitness guides in there. Like the 300 diet and the Wolverine diet and there's nothing wrong with that because they're in there for reading. And that's what I'm looking for tonight. Now, I'm not stupid. I know I'm not going to turn into Gerard Butler or Hugh Jackman in 10 minutes, but I figure I can make myself look like something close. So, I do two sets of push-ups on the bedroom floor, two sets of sit-ups, repeat, 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 repeat. The fitness guys want me to do more than that. They want bench pressing and back weights, protein and six-month routines, but I don't have time for that. Best I can do is get me muscles looking tense. Workout done, I stand, topless in front of the bathroom mirror with me phone in me hand, shifting with stomach muscles clenched, trying for an angle that shows me slowly forming abs best. It's easiest to see it when I turn the bathroom light off and let the corridor's soft light make little shadows in the ridges of me skin. With the soft flesh pads of me fingertips, I... Trace the shadows creeping lines, soft and blurred and dark. I take the photo. I set it as my profile too, but I don't send Laura a friend request. Not yet. Want to see if anyone likes me photo first. One hour later and sat on the edge of the bath, I check my phone and check it again. No one has liked it. No one has said a thing. One every swipe and me thumb and it's deleted. Gone. I pull a t-shirt on, throw the scrapbook beneath the bed and sit feeling stupid and hungry till I give in and cook the frozen pizza. Trying not to taste the water-soaked bread. There you have it, ladies and gents. That was episode four of Till Bashing. I really, really hope that you enjoyed it. If you did, don't forget to subscribe and please do share and tell someone else about it as well. 
And if you really, really want to make me smile, then do click on the link to the Patron in the profile and support my writing. It would mean the world to me. Thank you.